You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. This morning we are going to talk about the the awesomeness that is Palm Sunday. So turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew, I'm sorry, book of Mark, Mark chapter 11, as we talk about the importance of seeing the environment that we're in for what it is, and also seeing the personhood of Christ for who he is. There's such an incredible importance that we worship Jesus for who he is, and we recognize the times that we are living in for what they are. It's easy for us to see as we start to unfold Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, how the Jewish people at that time, they mistook their environment and they mistook Jesus' identity. And we can look at them and go, man, that was we would have never done that. We would have known better. How many of you would agree with me that oftentimes the mistakes that were made by the Jewish people that are shown in the Bible, we can make the same mistakes today, right? I, I can, there's so many times where I find I'm reading about someone, I go, where's your faith? And then, and then something comes up in my life and, and I can ask myself the same thing. Where's, where's my faith? So the, today, I would hope that we would see the importance of, of, of identifying Jesus for who he is and not who we make him out to be. Because I think there's a danger there, and we're going to get to it. Um, I, I've made the mistake of mistaking my environment before. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. I was talking with a friend of mine who um, was getting, he's getting ready to move from one house to the other, Uh, How many of you would agree that moving houses is right up there with root canals, right? (laughs) About on par. Uh, In fact, I know individuals who have refused to buy a truck so that no one can ask them to help move them. (laughs) How many of you are that person in here right now? And so um, Bev and I were talking and I was rehashing. We, since 2000, we got married in 2000, we, we counted it up. We've moved nine times, nine times, just Continue to pray for us. Still recovering. Um, and the first time that I helped Bev move, we weren't we weren't even married. Um, she, we were just starting to date, just, and I was it's at that stage where you're kind of getting to know her friends, and and you're meeting all of her new friends, and you know you know some, but you don't know all of them. And she was living with a family that she worked with at a church, and they were going to move, and 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 so you know, as as a guy who's trying to win a girl, you got to show off, right? You got to bring the gun show, the noodle show, whatever. I had, I had to be there is my point. And, and so I, I remember the family. I knew who they were, but I didn't know anybody else. So I, I drove to this place, and this girl, when I knocked on the door, opened the door, and I hadn't seen her before, but that's okay. I, I walked in, and I said, hey, my name's Jeremy. Um, how you doing? She's like, Good. And, and, and so, okay, so she's not very talkative. I'll do the talking. So I'm talking away and talking away. And she's responding once in a while, but not a lot. And, and um, as I'm talking, I'm looking in the living room, and I notice something really weird. Every family photograph that's in there is not of the family that I know. And it hit me. How many of you have ever had that, oh, Lord, no moment? And so I'm talking, and I go, this is the wrong house, isn't it? And she goes, yeah. I said, I'll see you. <laughs> totally misread my environment. I've misread my environment, and I've, and I've done worse. I've mistaken somebody's identity. Um, how many of you have ever, have you ever mistaken somebody's identity? You thought it was somebody, and it turned out it, it wasn't somebody. Um, how many husbands are brave enough to say they've done that with their wives? 
Lie. Lie. You're so scared of her. It's pathetic. My wife's not here, so I'll say it. So what I love to do, I love to play with my wife. She says it's picking on her. I say it's playing with her. Tomato, tomato, whatever. I'll go to like a store and, and so she'll be shopping. I decide I'm going to go to a different aisle, you know, where there's actually something cool, not tuna fish, something else cool. And, and, and what I like to do is like sneak up on her. When, I'm, when I'll find her in a different, I'll sneak up on her like a ninja and I'll get behind her and I'll go, hey, and just watch her jump, you know, as really, don't, don't judge me. It's my joy. And one time, so I, I was at a store and I'm walking up behind my wife and I'm ready. I'm just, hey, and the person turns around. It's not my wife. As quick as I could, I went, oh, I need that cereal right there. But could have been really bad, right? Um, it's really bad when we do that with Jesus. It's really bad when we mistake who Jesus truly is for something that he's not, something lesser that we've created him to be. There's a danger that happens that you and I must avoid at all times because of this. If you don't have the right perspective of who Jesus is, you're setting yourself up for a crisis of faith. If you don't have the right perspective of who Jesus is, you're setting yourself up for a crisis of faith because what you're doing is you're creating an inferior Jesus. And so when trouble comes, when trials come, You find yourself in a crisis of faith because Jesus is not operating the way that you have created him to operate. And you wonder, is he he the Jesus that listens? Is he the Jesus that cares? Is he the Jesus of grace? Is he the Jesus that sees me? And if I've created an inferior Jesus in my mind, my faith is going to be rattled. It's so important that you and I Get beyond the Jesus that we may have created in our mind and get back to the Jesus of the Bible. That we would learn about him, that we would chase, that we would want to know all the complexities of who Jesus is because that's the Jesus that's going to see us through. That's the Jesus that we worship this morning. I want to show you this morning how the Jews had misidentified who Jesus was on that Palm Sunday. So if you haven't turned there yet, please do so. Mark chapter 11 we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible, we have it on the overhead, but I would encourage you to make sure you bring your Bibles and bring a pen too so you can, you can highlight and underline some of these things as we go through Scripture. Starting in verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. Stop right there. And if you if you care to, would you would you underline the word disciples? Highlight that. It's important. And let me tell you why. How many of you would agree that you are either born a math person or not? How many how many are math people in here? Okay, how many of you are normal? Okay. I'm so not a math person. I, 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 and now basic math, I, fine, I was good at it. But when it got to like higher level complex math, seriously, I went into geometry in the ninth grade. And, 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 and so instead of going to geometry class, I went to the gym and played basketball. Because I mean, look at me, I was destined for the NBA. You can, wasn't that funny. It was, I was destined for the NBA. Um, so here, here is, I was satisfied knowing the basics of math, but I, I didn't want to know the complexities of it. It's, it's such an interesting Greek word for the word disciples there. It, it's mathetes, mathetes, 
where we get our word what? Math. Math. The, the, the Greek word in this situation is mathetasis, where we derive our word. What it means is this, it suggests an d- effort of learning, that it, an effort to get to know. So in this, what we're saying is that these individuals that Jesus sent out, they weren't satisfied with a superficial knowledge or a general knowledge of who Jesus was. They wanted to learn the complexities of who he was. And it's so important that you and I move beyond an elementary understanding of Jesus and reach for a deeper understanding of Jesus because of this. When we do that, we minimize the chance of us mistaking Jesus for something that he's not. So he sends the two disciples ahead of him, saying, go. In verse 2, he says, he said to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. The fact that this colt had never been ridden before has a lot of, of importance to it because everything of, in, in the Old Testament, anything that was going to be used for a sacred purpose, it, it never could have been used before. When they were carrying the Ark of the Lord in the Philistines' land, they had two, two, two oxen that had never been yoked together. The cups that were used, they had never been used before. Anything sacred was something that had never been touched before. And so here comes Jesus in this sacred moment. He's coming in as you would expect in the Old Testament. But furthermore, there's a second importance that we find here. We find the fulfillment of prophecy happening. If, if those who, who would have read the Old Testament at that time, as they see Jesus entering into Jerusalem, it should have, have, have triggered something in their mind and in their thinking. That maybe what they're actually seeing is completely different than what they thought was going to happen. Had they looked at Zephaniah chapter 9, verse 9, they would have remembered these words. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. If they had known that, what they were seeing, they were watching the fulfillment of Zephaniah chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. And yet they mistook what the Messiah was all about. And it had devastating consequences for them in the week to come and beyond. Picking back up in verse 3 says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Verse 4, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, Jesus, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut off in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who follow, they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes from the line of David, from the kingdom of David. Something is about to happen. Something's about to occur, but it wasn't what they thought it meant. Hosanna means this. It means save now. Hosanna means save now. But what the people thought they were being saved from was completely wrong. 
and to kind of understand the context of why they would have seen Jesus the wrong way, you got to look at what happened to the nation of Israel and where they had come from. So starting back in 323 B.C., when the Greek dynasty had overrun entire portions of the world, and Israel in particular was there, in 323 B.C., Alexander the Great dies. And when Alexander the Great dies, he has three generals that begin to go to war over all the territory. The territory of Israel, there was a fight between one general, his name was Seleucid, and the other general, whose name is Ptolemy. And for 125 years, there's fighting over this land. Until 176 BC, one general from the Seleucids actually wins. And in 176, as he wins, he begins to institute cultural changes throughout the land. He begins to tell the Jews, you can no longer live the way you've always lived. No longer can you believe in a monolithic God. No longer can you sacrifice the way you used to. In fact, you can't even observe the Sabbath. You can't observe circumcision. The temple of God that you guys go and worship at, they erected a a, a statue of Zeus, and they began to sacrifice pigs inside the temple. This was completely against Jewish culture, and there was this fervent desire of seeing God move on their behalf. God, where are you? How can this be happening to us? And then it was in 176 B.C. at the same time that there was a man, I'm sorry, 164 B.C., there was a man by the name of Mattathias. He was a Jewish priest. And a Greek official had told him, now you, you go sacrifice to my, our God Zeus. Mattathias said, not a chance. In fact, he ended up killing that Greek official. And the sons of Mattathias and the people, they used that as an opportunity to revolt against Greece. They were later known as the Maccabees. And for four year, for a few years until 164 B.C., they fought with one another until in 164 B.C., the Maccabees won. They reclaim Israel as a nation. They, they, they go back into the temple. They purify it. And they begin to worship God the way that they always have. And inside their hearts, they're going, we're finally a nation again. We commemorate it every single year with the festival of Hanukkah. There's the rededication of the temple. And it lasted until 63 B.C., 63 B.C., oh, 101 years later, you guys know that there was a new wave of a new dynasty that came into the place, known as the Romans. The Romans came in, and the heavy hand of Rome was put once again on the nation of Israel. And Israel at that time is going, God, what are you doing? You promised us throughout Scripture that we would be your people. That we would have our place in history. We would have our place in this world. And God, we just got it back. What is happening? And for 99 years, Israel, from that time until where we're talking about today, Palm Sunday, they're living underneath the desperate desire to see Israel become a nation again. And all of a sudden, there's this guy. (laughs) He's kind of a special guy. There's something about him. He's out in the countryside. And people are following this guy. He's charismatic in such a way that maybe they haven't seen before. Maybe it even reminded them of the Maccabees. And all these people are following him. And and look at, he's coming to Jerusalem. And he's about to come into, he's coming into the courts. He's, He's coming into Jerusalem. Hosanna! The king is back. Our nation is going to rise again. 
They were so focused on on the, the nation of Israel and a savior for the nation of Israel that they missed the fact that he was the savior of their souls. They mistook Jesus. So do we sometimes. When we fail to see Jesus for who he is, we can be bitterly disappointed. And it's sad because the Jesus that we make out is an inferior Jesus. The Son of God, who he truly is, is the answer to all your prayers. In your notes this morning, I want you to see how Jesus came as a king, but he came unlike any other king. Number one, he came as a king who would bring peace and reconciliation. Chapter 5 of Romans, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Because of Jesus, we have peace with God. I need to remind you of something. The same way I need to remind myself from time to time. You know, there was a time where I, I did not have peace with God. Because I was full of sin. But through Jesus and what he did in the cross, I now have peace with God. That means this, you can breathe easy. You don't have to tremble at the thought of standing before God. Isn't that great news? Somebody act happy in here. You're too peaceful. You can stand in the presence of God. You. You you know who you are. You know what you're about. You know that you're far from perfect, and yet you have peace. Hosanna. He, he, he was a king who was on a rescue mission, number two. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to rescue you. He was a king who established an everlasting kingdom. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. It was an everlasting kingdom. So much more superior than what the Israelites, the Jewish people, had thought it was. They, they, they were looking for a, a, a temporary kingdom at best. You know, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But the kingdom of heaven, it's eternal. They were, they were looking at a, a national kingdom. Jesus brought so much more than that. Not just to them, but to us. He brought an everlasting kingdom. Number four. He was the king who defeated the enemy, not by might, but through the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Here, here it gets good. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How many of you know that you had debt? Uh, you were bankrupt. You had so much debt. And it was wiped away by the cross. You didn't even have to do anything. Except replace your faith in Jesus. What a steal. Wouldn't you say? Because of the sufficiency of the cross, in your faith in Him, grace has come. It's the exclamation mark of Easter. The debt's gone because of the cross. Fascinating. 
Verse 15, and he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the cross. Basically, he showed up the devil. (laughs) Not only did I defeat you, but he gets to gloat over him, and so do you. We have authority and victory in what Jesus has done. And the spectacle that was made of the enemy today, we still applaud. We still applaud. He's de- Listen, sometimes we, we, we give the enemy so much um, undue respect. We're, we're so scared of, of, of the devil and his henchmen, the demons. And, and listen, there's such a thing as spiritual warfare and we need to keep our eyes out for it. But listen, he's defeated. He's won. We, we, we won. Jesus won. No longer do we have to fear the enemy who hates our souls. Um, but in order for us to live in a freedom and in a peace and in an assurance, do you see how important it is that we see Jesus for who he is and not for who we make him out to be? Here, here's what we do sometimes. Let me give you an example of what I mean by how we um, mistake the identity of Jesus. I read this this week. Sometimes we worship a Republican Jesus. He's the one who's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart. And he wants to reduce our carbon footprint. There's Starbucks Jesus. He drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. Here's one that we worship a lot. He's touchdown Jesus. He helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. <laughs> There's gentle Jesus. He was meek. He was mild. He had high cheekbones, flowing hair, walked around barefoot and looked really German. <laughs> the point is we create a Jesus that is so inferior to who he truly is. Let me, let me ask you a question this morning. In fact... Let me let me rephrase that. Let me remind you of a question that Jesus asked his disciples. But I believe he would ask each of us here today. It's a question that if you take it seriously enough, it, sh- it, it should rock you. It's a question that you really should give some deep learning to. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Close your eyes. Picture this. It's just you and Jesus. And Jesus is going to ask you this question. But who do you say I am? Not who have you made me out to be. But who do you say I am? I am more than you have made me out to be. Peter gives, you can open your eyes. Peter Peter gives the response of a lifetime. He answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter said it all right there. 
you are more than we could ever hope for, dream, or imagine. You are the God who sees, the God who cares, the God who would sacrifice his life for me. You're the God of love. You are my God. And when we see Jesus for who he is, whatever circumstance we may face, we have assuredness. We have, we, we have such a sense of peace because he is who he says he is. But what, what you got to do is this. You got to set your eyes on him, the real him. So growing up in Hawaii, one of the things that we loved to do was paddle canoe. I don't know if anybody's ever seen an outrigger canoe. Has anybody seen a canoe? The ocean. <laughs> So we would get in it, and we'd face where we want to go, and we start paddling all in unison. So it was a big sport over in Hawaii. And, and so it was so weird when I watched my first Summer Olympic game, and I saw the rowing competition. They got into the boat backwards. I don't know what's wrong with those people. They got into the back, and, and they're going to row, and their, their, their destination was over here. But here's what they did is, is they had someone that they set in the very back of the book that they would face. They would set their eyes on this person. He would give direction. And if they listened well and they set their eyes on this person and really, they'd go get gold. Hello? We have to set our eyes on Jesus. You were destined for gold. You are destined for gold. But, when I, but when, I, when I see Jesus for less than who he is, I start wanting to turn my, my boat that way. <laughs> my boat goes this way. But when I set my eyes on my Savior, victory. Victory. Know Him for who He is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Set your eyes upon Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author of say this word perfecter of our faith perfecter listen he's perfect and he perfects our faith and he releases us into the fullness of all that he has for us would you close your eyes for a moment I want to give you an opportunity to spend just a minute with the Holy Spirit and I would ask you to do this Ask him, is there any way that I have made Jesus into something that he's not? Have I put him in a box? Ask him to reveal that to you. figment of your imagination. He is the living, true Son of God. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.